Hello and welcome to our new regular podcast designed to keep you up to date with developments in the world of pensions over the last two weeks. I'm Claire Southern from the Hogan Lovells team and I and my colleagues have scoured the news to pull together the things you really need to know about so you don't have to. So whether you're slipping the car into fourth gear, cooking dinner for the kids or travelling by train, relax and let it all sink in. So first up, some news from Laura Trott, our pensions minister. And interestingly, as I found out, the lady we have to thank for making it illegal to inject Botox into our under 18s. As I'm sure you're aware, back in March, Laura announced a delay to the dashboards programme and we all breathed a sigh of relief. The dashboards programme will, of course, ultimately allow individuals to log into a system and see all of their pension provision in one place. This, of course, means that all pension schemes are going to have to share their data in a prescribed form, which is something of a practical challenge. On the 8th of this month, Laura announced that the legislation would no longer contain individual staging dates for schemes of different sizes. Instead, there will be a single date, the 31st of October 2026, by which all schemes, irrespective of size, must have gone live. There will, however, be a staging timeline set out in guidance, but it's not clear how much adherence to this will be driven by carrot and how much by stick. So put Halloween 2026 into your diary. I suspect it'll be a busy one. Next on our list, the DWP has published a report on the gender pensions gap. Surprise, surprise, it tells us that men tend to do rather better when it comes to private pension provision. Now, there are lots of ways to try to make the comparison between the pension provisions available to men and women. The DWP has settled on comparing uncrystallised rights in private pensions in the five-year age band around normal minimum pension age. The data shows the general gender pensions gap for 2018 to 2020 sits at 35% but it's slightly lower when looking at people in auto-enrolment. Whilst participation in auto-enrolment schemes is slightly higher for women, 89% compared to 87% for men, there's a fairly punchy difference in contribution rates with a contribution gap of some 17%. So I guess the takeaway is ladies get saving. And now moving on to investments. First up, the PLSA has issued a paper on supporting pension investment in UK growth. The paper is in part a response to calls on trustees from commentators to use their economic weight to provide capital to support growth in the UK economy. Now, the paper quite sensibly points out that the primary role of pension scheme trustees is to invest for the benefit of their members, not to shore up the UK economy. But it does suggest that there could be a win-win if investment opportunity aligns with this underlying duty. The paper lists a number of things that the government could do to reduce the barriers to this type of investment. All very sensible. But let's see if anyone out there is actually taking any notice. Next up, the boffins from HM Treasury and the Department for Business and Trade have issued a consultation response on LIFTS, which stands for the snappily titled long-term investment for technology and science. The consultation sought views on proposals to increase investment from UK-defined contribution funds into venture and growth equity where patient capital is needed. Lastly on investments, our friends from Brighton, the pensions regulator, have been on the blog again, this time commenting on defined contribution schemes. They're worried about members nearing retirement and have also commented that trustees need to be focusing on outcomes not just driving down costs. Moving on to defined benefit funding. 
Some of you may have been at the recent PLSA investment conference. If you were, you may have heard some comments from Fred Berry of the Pensions Regulator on the much-awaited Defined Benefit Funding Code. Now, we have had draft regulations and a draft code which set out the new requirements for trustees and employers to agree a long-term strategy for their schemes for some time. Concerns had been raised in the industry that there was a bit of a disconnect between the regulations and the code. Now, according to Fred, a draft statement of strategy for the DB funding code plus covenant guidance will be shared in the autumn. Now, I have to say, I'm never that clear on how the regulator, or government for that matter, calculates the comings and goings of the seasons. So let's keep an eye out for it appearing sometime before Christmas. Fred also noted that the pensions regulator and the Department of Work and Pensions are working on updating the regulations, apparently so that they'll be more in line with the draft code, which would be nice for anyone having to read them. And our last topic, some news on the Pensions Protection Fund. There seems to be a lot of interest in the Pensions Protection Fund, which is the lifeboat arrangement for pension schemes where the employer goes bust. Following a departmental review of the PPF last year, there have been suggestions that the PPF could be a vehicle for greater public benefit. Now, the latest suggestion on this comes from the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. It's issued a report that comments that disinvestment by UK pension funds from listed UK equities has negative long-term impacts for members and for the UK economy. The Institute claims that the root cause of the problem is traceable to accounting and regulatory changes in the early 2000s. Ironic, really, when you think of who was in charge in the early 2000s. The solution, according to the Institute, is the expansion of the Pension Protection Fund to become the UK's first super fund, which would receive a transfer of small defined benefit schemes on a benefit-preserving basis. This could form the model for other super funds, and within three to five years, we could have 300 to 400 billion of diversified funds able to invest in the UK's future and reduce our dependence on foreign capital. Now, the PPF issued a press response which said it welcomed the chance to work with government and the wider industry to explore the various options and be part of the potential solution. So that feels like a firm wait and see. Finally, a roundup of upcoming events for your diary. We have the Professional Pensions Defined Contribution Conference taking place on Wednesday the 28th of June. The PMI conference called Pensions Aspects Live 2023 will take place on the 21st. And most importantly of all, Hogan Lovell's recent development in pensions webinar, which is also on the 21st of June, starting at 9.30. If you'd like to attend, please click the link in the description. Well, that's all for this session. I hope that you've enjoyed the whip through of the last two weeks in the heady world of pensions and that you look forward to the next one. Check us out on Twitter at HL Pensions. 